This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hi, this is Conrad Roy. And I'm going to talk to you about social anxiety. Social anxiety, depression, it's controlling me. And there's people that love me. I have a great mom, great dad. But I'm so depressed. 18-year-old Conrad Roy's struggle with depression. He often expressed his fears on video and with his mother, Lynn, during long walks on beaches near their Massachusetts home. We spent the day walking the beach and we had a conversation and I asked him about school and he's like, um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And I said, you know, don't worry about it. Everything is going to be okay. Do you remember when is the last time you saw your brother? He was like going out the door. I thought he was just going to his friend's house. You got up in the morning, and how did you know he hadn't come home? He wasn't there, and we just like, couldn't find him. This is not like Conrad not to come home. Then they found his body and around 5.30 in the afternoon. And he died in his truck. Carbon monoxide poisoning. I will live with this forever, um, the pain. What happened to Conrad Roy on July 13, 2014, has been the subject of hundreds of news stories and resulted in a highly publicized criminal trial two years later. But most important, Conrad Roy's death has forced us to confront the dangers of digital communication, how words themselves can be weaponized. Right away, we heard from investigators that the medical examiner found that it was a suicide. It wasn't until they started looking at his phone that they realized that there was something else going on. There was one point where he actually got out of the truck mm -hmm. and changed his mind. Yeah, he was scared. And she told him to go back in the truck. Yes. 
Carter charged with involuntary manslaughter. She faces up to 20 years in prison. And it's the text that become the weapon. How could she cause a death when she was 35 miles away? In these circumstances, this is almost akin to loading the gun and handing it over. Who knows? Who knows when you have your hand on the trigger when you're sending a text? I'm Erin Moriarty, 48 Hours, and this is my life of crime. I spent nearly two years covering the death of Conrad Roy and the repercussions that followed. I got to know his heartbroken family well, and I sat through every day of the trial of the young woman accused of killing him. It is a sad case and a complicated one, and I'm haunted when I think that maybe none of this had to happen. We begin in June of 2014. Conrad Roy was graduating from high school and planning to be a ship captain like his father. But instead of looking ahead to a bright future, he seemed to be drowning in dark thoughts. I realize that it's not realistic. What, what's going in my head that keeps on piling and piling and piling. I need to be comfortable with my skin. I need to relax. I really do. It was rough on himself. He really, really struggled with um, just disappointing, I think, myself and his dad. Conrad's struggles with depression had dogged him for years. At age 17, he made his first attempt to take his life. This is his mother, Lynn, again. I worked in a psychiatric hospital, and I never imagined that one of my children would um, have those feelings. Do you think he really intended to kill himself at that point? He did contact a friend. That friend was Ariana. He told me that he was really sick and that his mom had just left and that he wanted her to come back. Ariana immediately got in touch with Conrad's parents, who took him to the hospital. He told me, Mom, I will never do that again. He was sorry. And I was sorry as well that he felt that way. The fact that he wanted you to call his mother, what does that say to you? It just says that he was calling out for help, that he didn't actually mean what he was doing, but he really needed help, and that this was the only way he kind of thought that he would really get help. And that help seemed to be working. Um, he actually was getting a lot better. He told me about how he was going out, and he was going to like you know the high school parties and just hanging out with everybody. I was like, that's amazing. Conrad had also shared his feelings with Michelle Carter. They had met in 2012 while vacationing in Florida with their families. How would you describe Michelle? Friendly? Yeah, she's really friendly. She always made Conrad laugh. Michelle would later describe Conrad as her boyfriend, but she lived a few towns away from him, and his family said the two rarely saw each other. Like so many other teens, they communicated mostly over text messages. Lynn Roy. Had your son ever mentioned Michelle Carter? Yes. After they met in Florida. I met her 2013 at his baseball game, and that was the only time I ever met her. Second time was at his week. Michelle and Conrad had more in common than Lynn realized. Michelle had her own demons. She had been battling an eating disorder. Both teens took antidepressants. And yet, Michelle was voted class clown 
and most likely to brighten your day. That doesn't describe her actions on the last day of Conrad's life. That day, July 12, 2014, according to his sister Camden, did not start out of the ordinary. As usual, Conrad was on his phone texting someone. Did you know who he was texting with? No. Now you think he was texting with Michelle Carter. Yeah. But you didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. And what was his demeanor? I don't know. He's, I don't know. He kind of seemed like anxious like when he was like texting. But Conrad put down his phone and took his little sisters out for ice cream. And when you think back on that, would you have ever guessed there was anything wrong that afternoon? No. <laughs> What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. After returning home, Conrad left again. It was about 6 p.m. He told his mother he was going to see a friend. And I asked him if he was going to be back for dinner, and he said he didn't think so, and that was the last words that he spoke to me. And I texted him, I don't know, before I went to bed, maybe around 10, 30, 11, and then I texted him again in the middle of the night. Conrad didn't respond. Lynn, who believed he was doing better dealing with his anxieties, thought everything was okay. Later that night, Hamden, Conrad's sister, got a call out of the blue from Michelle Carter, that 17-year-old friend of her brother's. And what did she text you exactly? She was like, um, hey, Camden, like, do you know where your brother is? Remember this phone call. It's one of those moments when everything could have gone so differently. Conrad didn't come home on the 13th, and after hours and hours of searching, police found him. Conrad was inside his pickup truck, parked at a local Kmart. He was dead, his cell phone on the seat next to him. And he died in his truck. What happened to monoxide poisoning? I got in the car and my mom was just like crying like the most I've ever seen her cry. And she was like, he's gone. And like, she was just like, your brother's gone. It still hurts just as much as it did then, doesn't it? I will live with this forever, um, the pain. Michelle Carter also seemed to take Conrad's death as hard as anyone. She sent a text to his mother writing, I'm so very sorry. Conrad meant so much to me. And no one questioned the suicide. That is, until cops got a hold of Conrad Roy's phone. It would lead to a criminal investigation like no other. There was no gun, no knife in this case. The weapon? A trail of words found on Conrad's cell phone, sent by Michelle Carter. Boston Herald legal columnist at the time 
Bob McGovern. And so this thing turned from a suicide investigation into a homicide investigation. Up until Conrad died, he had been in contact with Michelle Carter, mostly through texts that flew between the two of them for more than a week. And in most of them, Michelle seemed to be encouraging, pushing Conrad to take his own life. He writes, I'm determined. She responds, I'm happy to hear that. When you get back from the beach, you got to do it. No more thinking. Yes, no more thinking. You need to just do it. But after Conrad's death, Michelle revealed none of that to his family. She appeared to be as shocked as everyone else. When it came to the funeral, and she sat up close to kind of where the family area was. I always described her as seen as the grieving widow. She was just um, constantly like sobbing. And two months later, Michelle even held a fundraiser to honor Conrad in her town of Plainville. That fall, investigators interviewed Michelle Carter at her high school. Did you, do you think you had contact with him that day? I think so. Michelle denied that she had spoken to Conrad, but the police weren't buying it. They discovered that she wasn't just in contact with Conrad before his death. On July 12th at 8.02 p.m., she also sent a text to a friend saying that she had just heard from Conrad. He just called me, she wrote. I heard moaning like someone was in pain and he wouldn't answer when I said his name. That text was followed by another. I think he just killed himself. Michelle was texting her friend. And remember, she also made that call to Conrad's sister around that same time. But what Michelle wasn't doing was calling for help. She sent another text to Conrad right before he died, asking him, did you delete the messages? Conrad did delete messages, but police were able to recover more than a thousand between Conrad and Michelle, and they reflected how torn Conrad actually was about suicide. Some examples include, I don't know, I'm freaking out again, he wrote. And then he also wrote, I do want to, but like I'm freaking out for my family. Still, Michelle seemed to be egging him on. She later described her role in a text to a girlfriend writing, Sam, his death is my fault. Like, honestly, I could have stopped him. I was on the phone with him. And he got out of the car because it was working. And he got scared. And I, effing, told him to get back in. Conrad did exactly that. He did get back in that truck and took his own life. What part did Michelle Carter play? Would he have done it if not for her encouragement, her prodding? Keep in mind, Massachusetts had no law against encouraging or assisting suicide. And let's face it, Michelle Carter was nearly 50 miles away from Conrad Roy at the time. What part did she play in his death, if any? People don't realize in our generation, texting does a lot. It's like having the person right there in front of you when you're texting somebody. In 2016, the Supreme Court of Massachusetts ruled that Michelle Carter could be held responsible 
and charged with a crime, that even 50 miles away, she had a virtual presence in that truck and may have played a part in Conrad Roy's death. Are you doing that of your own free will, knowingly and voluntarily? I was there on that first day of trial, along with reporters from all around the world. But there were no jurors. Michelle's attorneys, fearing how her text might sound to a jury, chose to put her fate in the hands of veteran Judge Lawrence Moniz. Bristol County Prosecutor Mary Claire Flynn described the state's case. She assisted and devised and advised and planned his suicide. And on July 12th, 2014, as his truck was filling with carbon monoxide, he was scared. He got out. It was the defendant on the other end of the phone who ordered him back in, then listened for 20 minutes as he cried in pain, took his last breath, and died. The alleged weapon? Michelle Carter's words. What she did, in theory, according to the prosecutors, is she recklessly caused Conrad Roy's death. The state's case revolves around Michelle's chilling text messages to Conrad as he was apparently having second thoughts the day he took his life. The defendant texted Conrad, you can't think about it, you just have to do it. You said you were going to do it. I don't get why you aren't. The state asserts that Michelle Carter had been pushing Conrad for days. At the beginning of July, she assured him in a text message that his family would be fine. Yeah, they'll probably blame themselves for a while, she wrote, but they will get over it and learn to accept it. That shocked his mother, Lynn. I think she needs to be uh, held responsible for her actions because she knew exactly what she was doing. Lynn testified at the trial that on the day her son died, she thought he was in a good frame of mind. He was eating tortilla chips and guacamole on the way to the beach. In um, July of 2014, did he ever mention he wanted to harm himself? No. I knew he was a little depressed, but I thought he was, he was doing great. Sitting at the defense table was Michelle Carter, like every other reporter in the courtroom. I tried to read her expression, but her face was a mask, showing no emotion at all. Her defense is that Conrad Roy was determined to take his own life, and she played no part in it. Her defense attorney, Joseph Cataldo, told the judge about Conrad's earlier attempt to take his life with an overdose of acetaphetamine and argued that Conrad had been suicidal for years, in part because of his parents' divorce and also a contentious relationship with his father. The defense also said, that the judge should consider all of the text messages between Michelle and Conrad because at times Michelle was trying to save him, talking about taking him to a therapist or a mental health hospital for counseling. Your Honor, this case is a suicide case. It is not a homicide. And the evidence of the texting is overwhelming that Conrad Roy was on this path to take his own life for years. Michelle Carter was not present. Michelle Carter had been texting with him. She did not physically see this individual for over one year. But she was with him on the phone. And just 11 days before Conrad took his life, Michelle's texts 
seemed to be pushing him to the edge. She talked him out of his doubts point by point. She assured him that his family would understand why he did it. She researched logistics. This part will be hard to hear. According to prosecutors, Michelle had been sending him suggestions on various ways to kill himself for weeks. Hanging is painless and takes like a second if you do it right, she wrote. Why would someone encourage a friend to commit suicide? Prosecutors say it was all part of Michelle's plan to gain sympathy and attention. They brought to the stand one of Michelle Carter's friends. Lexi Evelyn, please. Michelle had told her that Conrad was missing and said she feared he was dead. Do you remember getting a message about Conrad being missing? Yes. He's missing, like they don't know where he is. I'm gonna ask you to read that text message, please, aloud. Sam, he just called me and there was a loud noise like a motor and I heard moaning like someone was in pain and he wouldn't answer when I said his name. I stayed on the phone for like 20 minutes and that's all I heard. But if Michelle was truly upset, truly worried about Conrad, why didn't she tell his sister that she thought he was suicidal? Or why didn't she call 911? Instead, prosecutors say that Michelle began building a virtual alibi, sending a text to Conrad even after she thought he was dead. She wrote, I'm scared. Are you okay? I love you. Please answer. Prosecutors say Michelle wanted Conrad to die, but her lawyers see it differently. They say she was simply a troubled girl who thought she was helping Conrad do what he wanted. Psychiatrist Peter Bregan testifies that Michelle, undergoing treatment for eating disorders, was under the influence of a strong antidepressant, Celexa, and that she couldn't control her behavior. She has an involuntary intoxication where she is not forming a criminal intent, I'm going to harm him. She was enmeshed in a delusion where she's thinking that it's a good thing to help him die. Is that possible? Well, not according to another prominent child psychiatrist, Harold Koplowitz. He didn't testify at trial, but he disputes that theory. He says adolescents take these drugs called SSRIs all the time. They don't make you delusional. They don't make you psychotic. It's very hard to understand where the man says to a friend, listen, I'm feeling pain. I don't want to do this. I'm going to get out of the car. There's no way to seem to make sense of the fact that someone then says, a friend says, get back in the car and kill yourself. This really has a vicious and a very, very malicious quality to it. So while Michelle could not force Conrad to kill himself, she could enhance his risk of killing himself. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Three days after the trial began, Judge Moniz begins his deliberations. 
It's a tough case, and he knows the eyes of the world are on him. If he decides that Michelle Carter's text caused Conrad's death, she could go to prison. So for the Carter family, her freedom is at stake. But for the Roys, it's a matter of justice for Conrad. Mr. Roy. The judge makes his ruling before a packed, hushed courtroom. She instructs Mr. Roy to get back into the truck. Well knowing of all of the feelings that he has exchanged with her, his ambiguities, his fears, his concerns. Even miles away, says Judge Moniz, Michelle Carter created a dangerous situation once she told Conrad to go back into his truck, which was by then filled with dangerous fumes. The judge ruled that she had a duty to save him, but she did nothing. She called no one. She did not issue a simple additional instruction. Get out of the truck. Ms. Carter, please stand. This court, having reviewed the evidence and applied the law thereto, now finds you guilty on the indictment charging you with the involuntary manslaughter of the person Conrad Roy III. Guilty of involuntary manslaughter. It's a shocking decision. Michelle Carter says nothing, and she's allowed to go home for nearly two months before she returns to court for sentencing. The crowd outside is not kind. Before Carter is sentenced, Conrad Roy's family members are allowed to tell the judge what has been lost. Camden deeply misses her brother. Not a day goes by with, without him being my first thought waking up and my last thought going to bed. His father, also named Conrad, is angry. Michelle Carter exploited my son's weaknesses and used him as a pawn in her own well-being. She has not shown any remorse. Where was her humanity? His mother, Lynn, unable to speak, asked a prosecutor to read a statement for her. I do not know where to begin. I pray that his death will save lives someday. Lynn hopes that all states will make the act of encouraging a suicide a crime punishable with time in jail. I pray that a law comes forth so that another mother does not have to endure what I am. I do not believe that another can go on to encourage someone to take their life, and it can be okay. And then Michelle Carter hears her fate. Ms. Carter, please stand. Judge Moniz sentenced Carter to 15 months behind bars, but even then she's allowed to first go home because her lawyers appealed the verdict and the sentence was stayed immediately. But ultimately, the verdict was upheld. In February 2019, Michelle Carter is incarcerated and yet she spends less than a year in jail. In the meantime, Conrad Roy's family pushed for legislation. What would you like there to be? What kind of law? I would love one in honor of him, uh, his name, Conrad's Law. 
Most states already have laws that make it a crime to coerce another person into suicide. Whether there ever is a true Conrad's Law, Lynn knows her son's death has already made a difference. And she has his video diaries to remind her of his love. There's people that love me. I have a great mom. My son mattered. He matters, will always matter. Someone that had a family and future and mom and dad. I will never get over him. I still hear from people who question whether Michelle Carter truly committed a crime. They'll say to me, we have a First Amendment. Michelle Carter didn't hold a gun to Conrad's head. She didn't force him to get into his truck that night. These were just words. But then I think I was sitting in the courtroom. I saw and I read text after text after text, an unrelenting campaign for Conrad to take his life. So was it a crime? A judge said it was. And even if Carter's actions weren't criminal, I think most of us can agree they were reckless and inexcusable. And let's face it, none of us want to lose another Conrad Roy. I'm Erin Moriarty, 48 Hours, and that's my life of crime. A special thanks to the 48 Hours team, as well as my producers, Sam Egan, Alan Pang, and CBS Audio. Subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time. Listen to the 48 Hours podcast for shocking murder cases and compelling real-life dramas from one of television's most watched true crime shows. Go behind the scenes of each episode with award-winning CBS News correspondents and producers in Postmortem, a weekly deep dive. Listen to 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. Take true crime with you on your shirt, mug, or hat with official 48 Hours merchandise at ParamountShop.com. You can take 20% off with code HOURS20. That's 20% off at checkout on all 48 Hours products with code HOURS20 at ParamountShop.com.